took advantage of it. <laughs> and and uh, I was not legally bound to go, so, so one day they moved the clocks forward on me, and I got the last 15 minutes of the sermon. So, <laughs> so this morning, we'll see who gets the last 15 minutes of the sermon. <laughs> Let's start with prayer. Father, we just want to thank you for your grace. We thank you for, for uh, holding us in your hand and for redeeming us from the pit. Um, we thank you for the work in our lives. We thank you that you are here, that you did not stand back, that you're not aloof, that you're not uh, disinterested, uh, that you have shown a great interest in us and that you uh, uh, are sincere and consistent with that interest and we just thank you for that we just pray this morning please keep us from error please help us to ponder your ways and to uh, uh, just uh, to grow as a result of being here <clears throat> we thank you for Jesus we pray in his name amen we would real quick, let's turn to Matthew 18. It's the scripture we used the last time uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, we've got some life-changing study sheets up here if anybody needs one. And uh, your life won't be the same without them. So, do you hand that down to Brad? Oh, to, to Brad. Thanks. So everybody, everybody got one. Won't be the same without it. So, if you remember last time, we talked about Matthew chapter 18, the great forgiveness chapter. And we come down here to, um, if I can find it myself. Is that right? <clears throat> yes. Let's go down to verse 21. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle with them, there was brought to him one who owed him ten thousand talents. But because he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had in repayment to be made. The slave, therefore, falling down, prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. In, in my background, which was semi-Pelagian, uh, this was always, everything was about duty. Everything was about what do I have to do? Everything was about do this and do that. And uh, I've always, as I mentioned a, a few weeks ago, I'd always passed over this part right here to get down to the do. What do I need to do? And, uh, and it finally, somewhere it hit me. 
that this is actually the essence. This is the nugget of this passage right here. That this is me and it's you and, uh, and uh, we need to stop and ponder this, that the slave was forgiven. 10,000 talents. I don't know if you were here the day that, uh, that R.C. Sproul, we watched an R.C. Sproul video on this passage. And Sproul mentioned that <clears throat> the entire net worth of the kingdom of Herod was like 9,000 talents. So here's 10,000 talents. There's no way the slave is going to repay this debt. And uh, that's, that's the position you and I are in. There is no way we're going to repay the debt that we owe. <clears throat> um, I, I was uh, in getting ready for this. In getting ready for this uh, this morning, I did read a little B.B. Warfield. I didn't read a lot, didn't want to overdo it, but I did read a little. <clears throat> and he had a sentence in this article. <clears throat> and it's something to the effect that on one end of the scale you have Pelagius, who thought that everyone was born innocent. And, uh, and, and that if you could remain innocent and you die innocent, you go to heaven because you're innocent. And on the other end of the scale, you have grace alone. And that is grace alone. Grace alone. And that's the two ends of the scale. Everything else is a mix between Pelagius and grace alone. And uh, what I think you see, I know the church I grew up in, I think you see a lot. When you have that mix of Pelagius and grace alone, you have a couple of things. One is, it's all about it's all about the work I do, the great men and women of the Bible, the those who stepped out in faith, uh, and uh, what do I do to regain my innocence? It is all about regaining my innocence because if I die and I'm not innocent, then I'm I'm going to hell, and so it is it is just constant thing going on. Where grace alone says, there's nothing you can do. You can't repay that debt. It cannot be done. You cannot regain your innocence. So today, what we're going to talk about, we're going to talk a little bit in the video about the law. The church I grew up in, and a lot of churches say this, there was an old law and there was a new law. And this is what you did under the old law to earn your way into heaven, to regain your innocence. And this is what you do under the new law. Now you have a new law, you know. Like one day God said, I don't like instrumental music anymore. You know, I liked it under the old law, but for some reason he has said I don't like instrumental music anymore, so in the new law you don't have instrumental music. I've seen that used recently to defend homosexuality. The proscriptions against homosexuality in Leviticus, well, that's the old law, you know. We're not under the old law anymore. And, uh, and uh, um, I, I've also seen uh, it, that we, we grew up to, in our church, believing that those who believed in grace alone and once saved, always saved, that they also believed they could live any way they wanted to live and they were still going to heaven. And I, did, did you all hear that too? Anybody else hear that growing up there? Well, they just believe they can live any way they want to live. They're still going to go to heaven because once saved, always saved. 
So that's a, an accusation against the Reformed faith. I recently saw that uh, decided the heresy of once saved, always saved is the, it, what that has resulted in is all of the uh, um, uh, pedophile mess in the Southern Baptist Church. Okay? And uh, so I think there are a lot of misunderstandings about law and grace and security of the believer. And so what we want to do is uh, uh, we want to uh, look at that this morning and kind of keep that in mind as we're going through this. God revealed himself to us. We don't make up things about God. If we do, then we're making up our own God. God revealed himself to us. And he revealed himself to us through his interactions with people. And if you look back, God said when, when people were offering their children in the fire, God says to them, that never crossed my mind to ask you to do that. I don't ask you to offer your children in the fire. I don't ask you to uh, cut yourself or dance around on the mountaintop. If you remember on Mount Carmel, you know, the, the prophets of Baal were all running around. They were yelling, screaming, dancing, cutting themselves, mutilating themselves. God's, God has never in his interactions with man, asked man to do that, okay? So, then I'll just throw out a question. Uh, what is the difference? If you're trying to re-earn your innocence, if you're trying to repay that debt all the time, what's the difference between that, groveling, constantly hoping that God has forgiven you? What's the difference between that and mutilating yourself and cutting yourself and dancing around on the mountaintop, or offering your children in the fire, trying to intimidate this God or begging this God to be merciful to you, when he has presented himself as a gracious God. The reason I bring all this up right now is, is for this reason. When, when we started this study, I said, I think this would going to be a time to sit back and appreciate the 10,000 galaxies of the gospel. A chance to stop and think about what God has done for us. And, and what, one thing I, I'm kind of concerned about, because I have this tendency myself, I think a lot of times we think if I watch enough videos, if I read enough famous theologians, and I say it loud enough and long enough, I'll start believing it. And my concern is, are you, are you, get, you, know, are you <clears throat> internalizing this? Are you making it your own? Are you thinking about what grace has done for you? And can, do you have that inside you where you can say, this is what God has done for me? And I have a greater appreciation for God because I stop to think about what he has done for me. And um, <clears throat> somebody asked a question one time. I was in a retreat one time. This guy started this retreat out, and he said, uh, he said, where does your worth come from? Do you have to earn it, or is it given to you? And at that time, I was going through a lot of stuff, and I, I can't remember what my reaction, but I suspect my reaction was, you know. And I ask you that question right now. I don't want to get there too fast. What is your reaction to that question? Um, <clears throat> where does your worth come from? Is it given to you? Or do you have to earn it? Um, 
That's an important question. And it determines, it determines how you live your life. It determines how you spend your day. It determines how you wake up in the morning. It determines whether you're downhearted or upbeat. It can. It determines whether you tend to get depressed or whether you have a kind of a positive outlook on life. That's not what we're here for is to develop a positive outlook on life. But you, you see what, what, where I'm getting at is it will determine your mood as you go through a day knowing where your worth comes from. Do I have to earn it or is it given to me? When I look at God's law and I look at God's grace, grace is when you do something for somebody that, that they didn't do anything to deserve it and you don't ask for anything in return. The last time you gave somebody a ride somewhere, did you ask for anything in return? The last time you prepared a meal for somebody, did you ask for anything in return? The last time you did any act of kindness at all, did you ask for anything in return and and you did not do that and that's an act of grace and so the question comes up if you and I have figured that out wouldn't we think that God had figured that out also so grace is God gives us stuff and doesn't ask anything in return except I got to thinking about that and he does ask something in return he asks us to keep his law he asked us to keep his law. And uh, so you say there, God does ask for something in return. He has asked you to be holy as he is holy. So what does it mean to keep God's law? Well, one definition of it is that to keep God's law is to try to regain your innocence. Do all the right things, and in the end, you hope you have done enough that you can get into heaven. This is where a Roman Catholic lives. People in the Roman Catholic Church, this is where they live. They never have any security. They're always hoping they've done enough. This is where people in the Church of Christ live, and at least in, in the, the sect that I was in. That's where you live. I hope I've done enough to get in. <clears throat> if you look at what God is asking you to do in keeping his law, he is saying, here are my laws. And if you do these laws, you become like me. I'm conforming you into the image of my son. My laws bring you life. My laws make you like me. Here is my character. Here is my holiness. Do what I tell you to do. Avoid what I tell you to avoid. Do the things I tell you to do. How come? Because they make you like me. This is the road to life. This is life over here. If I leave you to your own devices, you will destroy yourself. And you don't have to look very long to see how that's going on. You look at somebody who's living what we call a self-destructive lifestyle, you can see they're about to kill themselves. That's where they're going. And, and so when you obey God's law, it's a road to life. That's all he's asking you to do. Become holy like I'm holy. Be like my son. I'm here to conform you into the image of my son. That's all he asks in return, which is what? It's what you want to do. So where does your worth come from? <clears throat> I was looking at some space photos 
as I was getting ready for this, I, I debated whether to put one up here. I don't know if it'd show up anyway. <clears throat> one of them I looked at was a camera behind the rings of Saturn. And up in the corner, you see the rings of Saturn. And way down here is a little blue dot. <laughs> and that's the Earth. <clears throat> that's where we live. That camera is still inside our solar system. And here's this little blue dot down here that we call the Earth. And our solar system is a small part of the Milky Way galaxy, which is only one of thousands of galaxies in the universe. We live on that planet. No offense, but you're not making a real big splash. You know? <laughs> we, everything we do, how much splash are we going to make on this universe? And uh, I bring that up for this again, just to come back. Where does your worth come from? And if you have to earn your worth, how good a job are you going to do at that? How much success are you going to see there? So what gives you worth? How would you possibly have worth in a situation like that? And, the, and the, the deal is that the God who rules sovereignly over this universe has made you in his image, and he gives you worth. And that's where you get your worth. You get your worth from God. So it's the grace of God that has redeemed you from the pit. It is the grace of God that holds you secure in Christ. It is the grace of God that gives you hope when you lose a loved one or, or uh, <clears throat> contemplate your own death. It is the grace of God That gives you meaning. Your life would not even have meaning if it were not for the grace of this God who gives you meaning. Okay? It is essential to your being. All right? So, today's word of the day is shibboleth. Uh, I know you guys love new definitions, but if you look in the book of Judges, the Gileadites and the Ephraimites were warring with each other. And uh, they, they pronounced the word shibboleth differently. People from Ephraim pronounced it sibboleth. People from Gilead pronounced it shibboleth. The Ephraimites are trying to escape. They come to a ford in the river. The Gileadites knew they were going to do this. So they go to the ford in the river. And if you want to cross that river, you have to say the word shibboleth. And uh, if you pronounce it shibboleth, you can cross the river. If you say sibboleth, well, you're in a heap of trouble, okay? So ever since then, that word has come to be known as a password or a catchword. And uh, uh, so it, it, can, it can also mean it, that this word differentiates one group from another. Just, just in case you hear that word again today, it might have gotten past you last week. You heard it last week, too. But just in case you, you, you see it again today, and where it's going to be used, it will be used in relation 
to the concept of grace. Okay? So I want to, and I don't want to do this, but this is going to happen. In our, in, our, uh, in our video today, he's going to review some things. And it will sound like, you know, we're starting a new video. It's going to be all new territory. Actually, the first part of the video, he's reviewing some things that he went over before. So when he starts to talk about a life of holiness, Coram Deo, he has moved into new territory. First part of this video is review. Um, I put up here at the top of your page, I, I put three things we've talked about before. The four pulse beats, the common notes that Chance talked about, and then sovereignty that, that, uh, <clears throat> that Rob talked about last week. Uh, he's going to review some of this stuff at the first part of the video, and then he'll move into new territory, and then we'll get back up here and, and talk again. Okay? All right. Trevor, let's get started. Um, okay. I, uh, just a quick comment. You know, a few weeks ago when I was up here, if you weren't here, if you'll remember, I, I had said uh, how much trouble I had with the expression Calvinism, uh, and I do find it distasteful. And I especially find it distasteful when you say that Calvinism tries to shape all of life. And, I, I, you know, it, I don't want to go down that trail this morning, but because I am the presenter, I want to tell you I don't agree with that. Uh, I think we're looking for an accurate perception of the gospel. I think faithful believers, their lives are shaped by the gospel. That is it. It is not shaped by Calvinism. It is shaped by the gospel. And so just to make that point real quick. Um, but if you, if you took that out of this video, and I agree with what he's saying for sure. Uh, he was talking about, I do think he didn't go the direction, you know, when we're talking about be whole, or submission to the word of God, be holy as I am holy. It kind of took a different tack than what I would have taken if I'd been doing this lecture. And uh, I think he had a chance to say, uh, here's how the church needs to respond to the pressures of the world today, especially on some very key issues that are going on right now. And, uh, and he took his chance to say that. And then uh, his talk about the cacophony of the world I think he gave us a little of his opinion of contemporary Christian music. And, uh, and uh, as I was watching this video, I just want to assure you that we are doing everything exactly right in this church. So, so there's uh, no reason to worry there. <clears throat> I... I I'm, I'm going to say, I think, one more thing, maybe, and then I'll give you, if you have any comments or questions. Um, I, I have had the advantage of listening to these videos over and over. And so for me, it's, there's been a lot here to think about, I think. And, uh, and it's really, I've enjoyed this. I don't know whether you're having that same enjoyment, because you hear a video talk about it a little bit, you got a week to forget about it, and you come back the next week and hear the next video, and you don't even remember what last week's video was about. 
I would hope that you would take some things this morning, especially this part about the ministry of replication, that uh, the Spirit is shaping us into the image of Christ, and I, I would hope that you would take this home and think about it and internalize it and think over what does it mean that God has saved you by grace alone. It is not just a shibboleth. It is, it is the essence of your life that God's grace has saved you and, and, uh, and that you are being transformed into the image of Christ. So with that, does anybody have any comments or, or questions, anything you want to talk about? I, I think it's also very timely that Bobby's last two sermons tied right in with this morning's video. I don't know if you guys got that, but it, you know, as, as I was listening to those sermons, I went, oh, well, that's what I'm going to be talking about here in a couple of weeks. So did anybody else catch that, or just, <laughs> is it just me? So, anyone else? Well, you kind of triggered a thought there, and I don't know if this is worth anything. I don't know that there's a balance between grace and the law. I don't know that that's something that needs to... The law was given to us in grace. And, and of course, we can't keep it. But it was given to us in grace because the purpose of the law was to make us holy. It's an instructor. It's, it's, it's instruction in holiness. That's an act of grace. So, so because we have always thought of the law as something you have to do, it's something I can't do, I'm always failing. Then we start thinking, you got grace on this side and the law on this side. The law was given in grace, I would say. One, one time, one time uh, I came across this book because of uh, Seth Thomason. He, he, Seth used to do these videos of Howard Hendricks from... Uh, Dallas Theological Seminary, and Hendricks mentioned a book in one of his videos, and the name of the book is How to Read a Book. And uh, <clears throat> uh, by a guy named Mortimer Adler. Adler was an editor on the staff of the great books of the Western world. If you've never read that book, it's a great book. <clears throat> uh, the essence of the book is uh, that you read a book for what the author has to say, not what you think the author should be saying or what, you know. And it especially applies to the Bible, that you read the Bible for what the Bible has to say. And uh, <clears throat> that is how you get an accurate perception of the gospel. You don't bring your, your, what you're thinking to the Bible. You let the Bible tell you what to think. And one of the first places that I was able to really apply some of those concepts was the book of Galatians. And, and it, it was a real game changer for me. And if you've never 
sat down and really studied the book of Galatians. I encourage you to do that because Paul talks about that. And you get it pretty quick in there that Paul, at least for me, I saw this, that Paul does not see a separation between the old law and the new law. He just sees the law. It's just the law. And, uh, it, and it also that relationship between the law and grace and the work of the Holy Spirit and how much work I'm going to be doing. And uh, it's the book of Galatians, I think, is just a real good place to study about this. Yeah, are you? <laughs> yeah, welcome. <laughs> Hello, my name is Mike. I'm a recovering Pharisee. <laughs> so, <clears throat> okay, yes, sir. That's a great point. That is, that's, that's a great point. Thanks. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Yes. I guess what's helped me a lot is uh, Jerry Bridges' the book, Disciplines of Grace. And they are, uh, Bridges does a really good job in that book of um, these are disciplines we accept in response to our salvation in response to what God has done for us, things we do gladly, as opposed to these are things we do every day because, well, we're supposed to do them, you know, exactly, just what you're talking about. Right, yes. I, I think that's, yes, and maybe to add to that a little bit, and then we have to go, we're out of time, but just to add to that a little bit is the law shows you the extent of your sin. And maybe the reason that I don't respond as well as I should is that I don't understand the extent of my sin. I don't see what I was redeemed from. I don't fully appreciate that. And so, yeah, you're right on. Yeah. Is that, was that what you were kind of going? Okay. All right. That's it. So go home and ponder. Okay. All right.